Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. This is, uh, this is what Maxwell Smart calling you for my uh, shoe phone. I, it, it's true. My my microphone is inside of a shoe again. No, it is. It's it's like my thing in my my home office. Oh, you're you're see now we've done a flip flop today as they call it because uh, I'm at my uh, office office and you're at your home office. It's a switcheroo. That's it. I think it was a Disney movie where the parents turned into the kids and the kids turned into the parents. Yes. Is that what the parent trap is? I've never seen no, it. No, no, that's not the parent trap. Um, uh, the, the, the original with Haley Mills is delightful. Um, Lindsay no, the, Lohan was in the other one. Yeah. I know I, that, but I don't know what I, it's about. I, I highly recommend the original. Okay. Um, I, I cannot uh, recommend uh, the, Haley, the, the, uh, the Lindsay Lohan version. You can't recommend it like you've seen it and you wouldn't recommend it to anyone or you haven't seen it. So you can't recommend it. I can't recommend. I can't remember. I can't remember whether I've seen it. Um, but, you know, Lindsay Lohan. She's uh, she's delightful. Oh, if you say so. Yeah. From uh, from Mean Girls. She's really good at Mean Girls. You saw, I'm sure you saw that movie. It's a um, Tina Fey production. Mm, don't think mm. so. It's good. It's good. Don't think so. Um, uh, 1961, The Parent Trap. Link, we'll link to it in show notes. So it's not about parents switching places with their kids. No, Parent Trap is about <laughs> twin girls who who meet at camp and then discover that they're each like they're one half of a twin, and their parents got divorced, and oh. they they have they they connive um, and scheme and plot to get their parents together. Um, it's it's good. That sounds all right. Yeah, I'd watch. I'd watch that. I think my kids would like it. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's a fun movie. Nice. 1961. Hey. 1961. That's uh, that's old, Don. That's like, <laughs> it's like get off my lawn, old. You're not old. Remember, I told you, I texted you. This. Yeah, I know. That was very nice. You sent me a very nice text message, uh, which I didn't even notice that you were uh, that you were paying me a compliment about not being old <laughs> until I I dictated a response to you via Siri, and my wife pointed out that he, that uh, you know it was very nice of Ben to uh, to say that. <laughs> It's true. I don't. I don't think of you as old. I think. Uh, I think of you as a contemporary. That, that's nice of you to say. I, and then I might be old. I just put a piece of bagel on the microphone. It's off. Ah. <laughs> uh, so what's going on with you? How are well, uh, how are things in uh, in the town of New Brunswick? Well, right now, Whoa, I'm, hey. I'm uh, closing the <laughs> door you... to my closing the door to my office, um, <laughs> which it's great because my headphone cord reaches, so Perfect. I can actually hear you still and yet uh, do that faraway voice uh, thing. I liked it. Yeah. So, but I'm, I'm that means I'm not sitting on my uh, yoga ball. Okay. I'm sitting in my uh, chair. Share now, and uh, and I do I do have now the um, uh, microphone stand, uh, the the lo- well traveled microphone stand that has been a topic of conversation on the podcast in the past. It has a home in my office. Excellent. And when I'm not using it um, to hold a microphone, because uh, I only have one microphone that travels uh, between locations, um, I I have a hat. Uh, so it is a microphone <laughs> slash hat stand. <laughs> See that's like me and my shoe and my shoe microphone. I I like um, it's convenient in my in my home office to not have. I used to have the full microphone apparatus here, but then one of one of my children tried to swing on it, and it does not. It while it is built to hold a, I don't know, 
four or five pound microphone. It is not built to hold a 35 pound toddler. Huh? So imagine I, that. So I had to fix should, it. Should write an angry review on Amazon. Fail. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> should have been noted that will not support toddlers swinging on it. Uh, I, Speaking of of Amazon reviews, uh-huh. are you like it, when things go into the the public realm? Uh, do you enjoy reading those Amazon reviews, like like the dress from a couple of months ago that that it, it just took off, and then people use the Amazon review forum as this this place for jokes? I do I do like that that has happened. It's not it's not something I'm familiar with. It's done more on a couple of a couple of occasions, but yeah, there there are um, people using uh, Amazon as a forum for uh, humor, and uh, I, I applaud them for their creativity. Yeah, I like that, and I, I kind of come to to expect it now. Like like if something's going on, then then you've got to you know then then I, I look forward to the people that are hilarious that go to Amazon. Oh, that's that that's that's good. That's you know that 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 has not occurred to me as a place to go to find funny stuff. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I'm not actively seeking it out. Mm-hmm. It just seems to come up in you know in, in the twi- in the Twitter. Uh-huh. Uh, every once in a while, like, oh, hey, um, I can't remember what the last one was. It might have been about the Star Wars digital box set, maybe, mm-hmm. that that became, you know, there there was, you know, 16,000 reviews about Jar Jar Binks. Well, you know, it's it's funny because I just, just now Googled the uh, funny Amazon reviews, and actually Amazon itself has a page where it lists the funniest <laughs> Amazon product reviews, and the, the number one is uranium ore. <laughs> looking at uh, it right es- now. Essential for both terrorists and mad scientists. So we will link to this in show notes. Uh, the number two one, which is appropriate for a food safety podcast, is Tuscan whole milk, one gallon, 128 fluid ounces. <laughs> More than a thousand reviews will convince you how special Tuscan whole milk one gallon, 128 fluid ounces is. Yeah, so uh, four four out of five stars, uh, seventeen hundred customer reviews. It's it's, see, it's this whole other it's this undercurrent of the of of the social media world that 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 I would say is still social media, right? Like it's still people interacting. Being part of the part of the story, yeah, and um, and I love I love the fact that Amazon has decided that this is something to be encouraged, right? Yeah. Like like uh, the natural response I think from a lot of big corporations is, oh my God, we have to control social media, um, and 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 you know the natural I would think the natural response of response of Amazon is, oh my God, people are doing this, get off my lawn, right? Like right, like right. stop uh, stop doing this, and instead they've said, hey, this is this is a funny thing. And uh, actually, I, maybe it's not Amazon doing this. This is this is a list from an Amazon user. So I guess I don't know to what extent. Uh, maybe this is not Amazon sanctioned, but but it does it does actually appear on Amazon. Maybe it's like a curated list by um, an Amazon person. But anyway, it's it's great that Amazon is not actively going out of their way to destroy this. At least, if, even if they're not encouraging it. Right. Right. Yeah. And and it's. You know, it probably drives a lot of traffic. <laughs> I need to. I need to stop looking at this, or I'm going to keep laughing uh, during the podcast, which would not be appropriate. Well, because we never laugh during the podcast. Well, usually I laugh when you say something funny. I don't laugh because I'm reading uh, humorous Amazon uh, product reviews. I have to just share this. 
How to Avoid Huge Ships. The list author says, I can't tell you how many times this book has saved my skin. Uh, there is a book. Um, it, costs, it costs $182, and the title of the book is How to Avoid Huge Ships. <laughs> oh, oh, that's awesome. Yes. Oh, man. So, uh, I, now I'm lost. Yeah, Now exactly. I'm lost in uranium ore and a horse head mask. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I was going to tell you something. Hey, we saw each other last week. Oh, we did. We did. That was nice. And we were, we were at the, uh, army Navy club. Is that the right name? Yeah, I believe it's the army and Navy club. army and Navy club. It's, it's the army Navy football game. Right. Uh, in the Army and Navy Club in uh, in Washington, uh, D.C. Yes, ArmyNavyClub.org. Um, Did you uh, – I, I assume since you're talking to me from uh, uh, from New Jersey that you, mm-hmm. you were not still there. You got home. I did get home. Um, a little bit of an adventure. So um, – and this will again date the podcast and, and will show – it will allow us to embarrass ourselves about how um, uh, untimely we are in our uh, posting of these podcasts. But we're, we are behind. Slightly. But we're working yeah, – slightly. But we're working on it. Um, yeah. So I traveled to Washington uh, the same day uh, that there was a major uh, uh, catastrophe uh, and really a true catastrophe in, in every sense of the word and a derail of a um, – uh, Amtrak train. Uh, the train uh, was going north. I was going south. I passed through the derail point um, a number of hours before that train went off the tracks. But what that meant was that for my return trip via train, um, basically Amtrak was closed uh, from. Uh, basically, you could not get from. Could not pass north of Philadelphia. Now, as it turns out, they were um, through running through the. Uh, the Pennsylvania local transit and New Jersey transit uh, and a bus, they actually had a workaround. So you could actually take, um, and they were honoring Amtrak tickets. So if I, if I didn't have any other choice, it turns out I could have uh, gotten off in Philadelphia. I could have taken SEPTA, which is the uh, Pennsylvania transit to a certain point, gotten on a bus and then gotten uh, to another point where I would pick up New Jersey transit and keep going. As it turns out, what I ended up doing instead was canceling my Amtrak ticket, uh, buying a, a ticket out of Dulles Airport to fly back to Newark Airport, uh, where I took the air train to the Northeast Core. This is fascinating for people I know. I, I re- this is, you know, but I'm going to... It's a travel gonna, log. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's travel adventures. Um, and then take an a air train to New Jersey Transit. Uh, Northeast Corridor and then take New Jersey Transit back to Metro Park train station. Because the, the thing is, I had any one of a number of ways of getting back to New Jersey. But the critical thing was I actually had to get back to my car, which was parked in the Metro Park train station parking lot. So I had to actually get back to that physical location. Now, the good news is, is that Newark is was well north of the derail point, And so I just had to get to Newark Airport and then I could uh, easily navigate um, via the train, several trains to get to my car so I could get in my car and actually drive to my office where I had to record a, uh, radio interview, a live, uh, radio, internet, internet radio, not podcast, but uh, a radio interview with, uh, I don't know, one of the, actually one of those satellite radio stations, which was, which was a lot of fun. Um, but, but it was a hard, uh, hard deadline, but I, I had turned out I had left plenty of time and it ended up all working out. Uh, okay. Well, that's, that's good. Um, Planes, trains, and automobiles. Automobiles, yes. Uh, um, 
I did not have anything nearly that that exciting in my uh, in my travel last week. Uh, I just flew to flew to DC and flew home. Um, mm. But we got to hang out. And, we did and do some some food safety type stuff mm-hmm. for for a couple of days. And and uh, we so we've talked about it on the podcast before that you and I are both on the steering committee for the Food Safety Preventive Controls Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, and this group is for the listeners that ha- haven't, uh, gone back to, that are, that are working the podcast from both ends. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this, uh, this, po- the, the, this alliance is, is a group that was put together, oh gosh, three years ago or so, um, to put to, that was tasked with, um, developing a standardized curriculum to uh, help the industry, um, meet the preventive controls rule as well as co- make people qualified individuals. And so we've been participating, you know, I, I fairly, you know, on and off, I guess, for the last three years on it. And, and now we're getting down to crunch time and, and it's, uh, it's getting down to the, the, the nitty gritty of, of implementation. And I thought, I mean, I, for, as much as I'm not a meeting person, mm-hmm. as, as you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I did feel like it was productive. This this one, I mm-hmm. don't know. Um, yeah, you know, it's I am not a, a good um, um, meeting person either. But and I have been. I don't want to. I don't want to say. I've been. I've been skeptical. Is maybe the right word. I've been guarded in my enthusiasm for this project, but the further it goes along, the more I'm getting swept up in it and the more I'm beginning to really like realize, okay, preventive controls are coming and guess what? This group, the Preventive Controls Alliance, is really going to do good things and I'm pleased to be on board and I'm pleased to be part of it and I'm, it's starting to feel like a real thing and not just a bunch of people talking about a bunch of hypothetical stuff in a room, you know? Yeah. It's like, starting to feel real, which which is yes. the point, I, I guess, that I would start to engage as an extension person. Hey, this is actually going to be a thing and it's actually going to be maybe a pretty good thing and, and, and it, yeah, so I'm starting to get, I guess I'm starting to feel, you know what it, it is? I've been, I've been tamping down my enthusiasm for it so that I'm not disappointed and now that it's getting closer to it, I, I'm feeling enthusiastic. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm also in, you know, the same, uh, I feel very similar about it, and and I've and it, which is weird to to talk about it this way because I've been the the chair of this steering committee now mm. for like two years, and I've not really figured out what I'm supposed to do as the chair. Maybe show up and show up and be you. I mean, that's my advice, yeah. and I think you've been doing that very well. Just show up and try to say intelligent things, try to say helpful things, try to speak your mind. I mean, I, that, that's the only way that I have ever discovered I can share anything is to go in uh, completely naive and just say, "Okay, I'm here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm right. I'm going to tell you that if I think that's appropriate, and I'm going to listen and I'm going to try to be helpful." And, you know. And- yeah, and, and not, then see what happens. Right, 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 and not not own it because it's not you know it's not mine to own. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. from the development standpoint, it's it's steer, steering it mm-hmm. as per the steering committee. So it's been it's been an interesting experience for me um, that uh, to to be part of it, and, and it's also very cool to now see after uh, a, you know a couple of years in some form of leadership uh, in. And say that in in the in the dick fingers loosely way, mm-hmm. um, 
that that there's something there now and and it's not like it was in question that there would be something there but it's always hard to get your your head around the theoretical until you see this stuff that um that's been made and and you know uh our friends uh Katie Swanson and uh PC Vasavada um Glenn Glenn Beck Glenn Black the whichever one is not the conservative commentator I think it's Glenn Black uh and and Bob Brackett and all, I mean, all these folks that, that have been really pushing forward with it um it's really it's it's really cool to see to see that something's been created and uh and like you said it's at that exciting time now where um where folks like us can use it or or very, or getting very close to being able to use it um which is which is kind of fun so it was right. it was good it was cool to to hang out there uh with you and we we talked uh we sat beside each other and didn't look at each other um for so, for during a dinner which was cool yeah and that's and that's like uh that's what we do. you know that's what we do i mean that's i'm very comfortable with that me too the only thing that um that was different is my ears were kind of cold cuz i didn't have headphones on <laughs> And and we and we also should share that we kind of got in trouble at, I, yes. for dinner. Yeah, we did. We did. We got there was uh, there was some trouble to be had. Yeah, plans plans were made. Um, plans were changed. Uh, uh, un, uh, unauthorized plans were changed. Um, and I'll I'll take responsibility for that. But you know, it's it's okay. I don't. I, I you know I'm okay out. with it. I think it worked out. Yeah. I, I think the uh, um, our. our we uh when we changed plans um the the objectives still were met <laughs> we're talking so cryptic yeah well it's an, yeah. Inside, it's an inside joke it's yeah. an inside it's an inside thing inside baseball yeah so so yeah that was that was cool um talking talking a little uh food safety together last week uh and then uh and then it'll be and not not too long from now i'm gonna see you again i mean well it's i mean it's two months but but it's uh, it comes up quickly. This I'm I'm so looking forward to Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. I don't say it like I think I try and say it like the locals do. Oregon, mm. not Oregon, 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 or- Oregon. Or is it Oregami? Oregon? Is that where I, it comes from? I don't know. I don't know. I like I, I'm I'm excited about. I, I'm more excited about going to Portland, Oregon, as a as a IAFP host city than any other city that has hosted IAFP ever. Mm. Is that well, is that cool? Is that- well, yeah, sure. It's cool with me. Um, Portland is a very cool city. It is. It is a uh, and it's it's yeah. It's going to be it's going to be nice. Although although people apparently are already complaining, Ben. Well, people people Pe- hey people are complaining about the hotel prices. They're complaining about the lack of a golf outing. They're complaining <laughs> that Portland is far too liberal a city oh. and. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, only uh, only one of those is false. That's true. Hey, as Taylor as Taylor Swift says, Don haters, haters gonna hate. Haters gonna hate. Um, I, I am like I so so my we, we've talked a little bit about this in the past about my my goal for IAFP in general is to go catch up, see some things that are new, see talk to people that are um that are old, um wear something blue. <laughs> and, and 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 borrow a drink um but no no but i i like to not leave the um the compound for the most part like mm. i really like i really like for five five days going somewhere where it's it's all food safety fun all the time and um and i don't have to go anywhere 
and it's central. And in Portland, the, this is the opposite for me. I've not been to to a city where I'm like, you know what? I want to I want to go karaoke somewhere every night, somewhere different. I want donuts. I want to I want to leave the um, the 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 comfort of the IAFP nest and explore this town. Um, it's but you're I, but you're feeling that with Portland. I am. That's it's. Yeah. This is the only one. This is the only time that I've that I've felt that. Yeah. Well, uh, and and by virtue of the way the city is laid out, um, basically there's one hotel that's close to the convention center, and then everything else is uh, a, a rail, you know, a, a light way, r- light rail ride away. Um, and and in fact, I chose to stay. There's sort of there's, there's sort of two main headquarters hotels, and I chose to stay at the one that is uh, the the longer rail ride away because I want to be in downtown Portland because that is just a cool place to be where where uh so tell me since you know the situation here which which hotel would that be i think it's the hilton that's where i am okay because i i really because and this is going to be a big change for me next year because for for five years now i have not been allowed to make my own hotel reservations um uh because they're being handled by the office and and with this meeting i will be off the board and i will have to make my own hotel uh reservations oh, no. um yeah, yeah well i've been you know had my hand held for a while here um uh but i but i believe and that's always the big choice every year is which which hotel if there's a choice of hotels but uh yeah so this year um this year I, I believe I am at the Hilton, and I'm not sure what the one is that's close to the convention center. But again, should be awesome. Uh, the I like as you might have been able to tell from my story about how I got home after the Amtrak derail. Um, I like taking trains. Uh, I think that puts me somewhere on the spectrum uh, because I like trains. But I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I like trains. Um, hey, I like I like the trains too. I like I, we uh, we we're gonna we're gonna take the boys to. Uh, uh, like on a day train trip to Greensboro just to be on the train to this year, like this summer. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. I look, my, I have very fond memories of going on the train with my mom when I was a kid. Um, my grandparents lived in this uh, town that was about two hours away from, um, from Toronto where, where I grew up and you could take the train, not quite all the way there. So, so my grandparents would, would come pick my mom and I up if we were going to go visit them for a weekend. And I was, you know, I was like six, seven years old. And, and I, I really, um, I, I've, I've always, uh, I choose the train when I can, when it, when it makes sense. Cool. I didn't, I did not know they had trains in Canada. Yeah, no, they've got, it's a, it's an ice train. It's, uh, it's, it goes just fully on ice tracks uh-huh. and, uh, it's wood, it is, wood and beaver pelt. No, uh, close. <laughs> it's uh, maple syrup and poutine will, uh, drives it. Um, so it is just one of the other things that we, uh, as, as English Canadians, uh, rely on the French Canadians for is the fuel for the trains. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so funny. So funny. I have been watching so much hockey, Don, that, that I've. Uh, I have no concept of what's going on in the rest of the world. I mean, I know about the food safety stuff, but, um, but, but I don't, I, I'm so, I'm so ingrained into this. There's a hockey game every night right now. Um, and that's the, that's the little, little black, dis- black on the ice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, um, I, my, <clears throat> I've, I've also been celebrating, uh, Canada because I just started listening to a new podcast, um, with, uh, Merlin Mann and Jim Dalrymple, who is oh. from Nova Scotia. Yeah. He's the, the music guy, right? 
or no? Uh, yeah. Wait, yeah. Well, he's a, he's a he's an Apple blogger, but he also he has, has I think still has a show on Five by Five called Amplified, and yeah. he has this new show that he does with Merlin Man called the uh, Dalrymple Report. So, and they talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, actually, most recently, I was just listening this morning uh, on my way in and, and at my house, and uh, he, Jim was talking. There's just been one episode out, and Jim was talking about um, how he lost a whole bunch of weight uh, because now he lives in California. He didn't realize he moved to California. He lives in California, and he's been walking everywhere um, and, uh, and, and losing weight because of walking. Sweet. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good thing. Yeah, like to, it was very interesting. Walk like to walk to i'm gonna check that out i'm uh i i i so i you know we i've had uh, ongoing homework from you for a while which is um roderick on the line mm-hmm. and, and i have now added it to my uh podcast app and have downloaded episode one season season one e1 no just episode one to start because i'm I, I need to I need wait to start. you haven't you haven't been you haven't started no. listening yet i haven't started listening yet oh my god but but i'm you I'm have run- so much to cap- catch up on I, I know i'm running like a fiend right now oh so, good for you so i'm um, yeah so i i uh i like to track uh i like to track the the runs and and uh and the stuff that i do and i and i listen largely to podcasts while i run which is not i mean i don't know if that's common or not i i find it very relaxing to to like run to a podcast as opposed to music huh so that's interesting yeah so i just i like zone out and all and so right now let's see what i let me give you a little little of my runtastic stats mm. um in may we're at uh, may 22nd mm-hmm. i have run uh oh come on come on come on load up load up um this is fascinating for mm-hmm. people i'm sure this is why they tune in yeah 26 miles in may which, which for me, my goal is, is to run uh, 30 miles a month, but I think I'll hit 40 this month. And that's a total of five hours and 19 minutes of running. That's five hours and 19 minutes of podcast time. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, I've, I have, I've lately hit a problem in that uh, I, am not have, I don't have enough time when I might uh, actually be able to listen to a podcast. And so I've been trying to make new opportunities to listen. And so this morning I set up my, um, my little, uh, Bluetooth, uh, speaker thing, Jambox, um, and listened in the shower so I could get Ooh. in some extra, extra listening in. Um, how uh, long was your shower, Don? Not that long. <laughs> Not that long, um, but uh, but I, I and I'm not a runner as we've discussed before. But right. I have been walking a lot, and I I totally killed it on Wednesday. I walked uh, forty thousand steps, which is about seventeen miles um, between uh, walking on my treadmill desk and uh, going for walks to run errands and, and walking the dog. So that's wild. Yeah, on, seventeen miles is not like you almost walked a marathon on on. What was that Thursday, Wednesday, mm-hmm. whatever? That was holy crap. And I, I also got uh, because I'm, I, you know, I'm all about uh, being motivated by little badges on my phone. Um, I, uh, I recently got a so I, I use a so I use a that and those I should explain those steps are from my phone, which is different than the steps recorded on my Fitbit. The Fitbit records fewer steps, but um, but uh, but Fitbit has some some like social media stuff that's you know more 
you know, more sort of gamification of, of exercise. But Fitbit uh, recently reported to me um, that I uh, had earned. I'm just looking for the badge right now, and I'm not. I'm not finding it. But uh, but basically, uh, oh, here we go. Goals. Um, I recently earned. Well, it's not telling me that, but I earned a, some sort of a badge on Fitbit where I had walked enough miles since I owned a Fitbit to get the global. Um, uh, the global badge, which basically means not that I walked around the world, but that I've, I've walked enough steps to have walked through the world, across the, uh, you know, through the center of the earth to the other side. That would be hot. Was it hot? <laughs> no, I, sometimes it's a little warm because I, you know, I work up a sweat, but no, it wasn't like, I didn't encounter any molten cores. No. Yeah. Were there orcs? No, or, no orcs, um, no molten, molten cores. What are the other the other things? I don't know. Balrogs. About. I think Balrogs yeah. are in the in the center Something, of the earth. Yeah. yeah. Something about Middle Earth. <laughs> I don't know enough about that. I'm I'm too I'm so tuned out on the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings that I I can't even carry I can't even give you like reasonable references. Well, you know, it was it was good enough. Good. Okay. Good. Good. My dad, I, I, my dad doesn't listen to the podcast. He'd be disappointed. Oh, is he a huge Middle Earth fan? Oh, he's a. He might as well have a vacation home in Middle Earth. Wow. He's wow. Uh, he, he is. He's all. He's all in on the on, on Middle Earth stuff. That's fascinating. Yeah, he was. He he used to. Um, so he, uh, he, uh, he was an elementary school teacher. I think I've shared that mm-hmm. uh, before. And um, taught. Um, uh, gr- grade four and five uh, mm-hmm. in Canada, which is also translates uh, directly to fourth, fourth and fifth, fifth grade, grade in the United in States. The, yes. In the United States for our uh, for our international listeners, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he would read The Hobbit to his class every uh, May and June. Oh, nice! The, yeah, and so um, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really cool, and you know he would do all the like dragon voices and and stuff like that. Oh. He was really into it. He also um, was the his other uh, I guess passion for for teaching was uh, when he got to do the medieval unit for his class, and they would ho- host this like large feast where there would be a king and jesters and and all this kind of stuff with all the all the kids. It was uh, it was good. Oh, he sounds like a cool teacher. Yeah, he was. Uh, he is. He's good. He's good. He's a good dude. Mm. <laughs> um. So. So anyway. Um. So we're 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 uh, half an hour in. We should probably talk about food safety. Look, we talked about we f- prevent controls. We, and, well, it's true, and we and we did talk about uh, IAFP uh, in Portland. Yeah. So come on, this is this is like we're we're ahead of the game in our in our books. Mm. But there are food safety things. Other food safety things to talk about. Uh, are there is there anything happening in uh, the per- world of food safety? Uh, people are getting sick, Don. Are they? Yeah, they're getting sick from this from this uh, from this salmonella stuff. You ever heard of the sam the salmonella? The salmonella? Am I pronouncing that right? I'm not sure. Tuna, tuna. Oh, it's sushi. Tuna. Yeah. Tuna again. Tuna again. Yeah. Uh, so CDC last night um, uh, put out their uh, an alert uh, and an update. I love. I, I know that you and I, um, if there's anybody, I guess that, that we consistently praise, <laughs> I think it's CDC. I don't know if that's, if that's true there, but, but I, I am, I, I like them a lot. Um, because and they have embraced all this social media stuff, but they've also more than, than any other agency gotten really good at getting, you know, public information out when they have it. 
and and doing it in a standardized way that tells a nice big story so we can all learn about what's going on and um so so last night uh at five o'clock they posted this is uh may 21st to date ourselves again uh multi-state outbreak of salmonella paratype b variant uh l plus tartrate plus uh which i don't know what that is just rolls off the tongue you don't know what that is did you not ever take a class in food microbiology ben or microbiology i guess it would be microbiology i did i I don't remember the tartrate plus yeah so i think uh, and now i'm going to show that i'm also ignorant um (laughs) so basically ben what it means is that the salmonella uh it's (laughs) it's tartrate it's it's plus plus. I think it has to do with the, the organism uh, can uh, man- metabolize uh, tartrate as an energy source, which, which is, I would suspect, because they're calling it out, is somewhat unusual. So, for example, typically on a salmonella test, there, there are uh, – back before we had molecular techniques, we used to characterize organisms based on things that they could metabolize or things that they were resistant to. And I suspect that this is a strain of salmonella that can metabolize tartrate and cause a color change in a medium which is probably atypical. Most salmonella probably cannot uh, do that. It's interesting. I, I mean, I, I say that with a dry sense of humor, <laughs> what you just said, Don. Very interesting. <laughs> um, but this one is, I mean, it's fairly uncommon because it's a, a paratyphy B. We don't see a whole lot of paratyphy B. Hmm. Um, yeah, if we look back a while. Um, yeah. So, so anyway, this... Uh, um, just going straight from, from the report, uh, as of yesterday, 53 people have been infected. Uh, most of the ill people have been reported from the southwestern U.S. or have reported travel to this part of the country in the week before they came ill. So we've got Arizona, 31 people in California, um, New Mexico, South Dakota, which is, uh, I guess, a new state in the southwest. Now it's, I think it's the travel one, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there, but, um, Ill individuals, uh, younger than one, as old as 83, median age of 31, 47% are female. Um, uh, 46, uh, sorry, uh, of the 46 people uh, that we have some uh, more information about, um, 10 of them have been hospitalized uh, for the infection. Um, and uh, the... Um, of the 37 ill who we have information about, um, 36 of them, so 90, 97% reported consuming sushi in the week before they became ill um, of healthy you – know, so, so it looks like this is a, a, a raw tuna sushi uh, situation. And, and we had, you know, we we had this uh, tuna tuna fin back scrape a while ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another salmonella um, situation. And, so we don't, but we don't we don't know whether this is a back correct. scrape tuna, right? I mean, I suspect. Well, you know, again, so what what are my questions? Well, a couple questions. Number one, shame on you if you're feeding your younger than one aged person um, uh, sushi. That's stupid. Okay. That's not a good, not a good idea. And now, now again, not not everybody reported eating it, so it's possible that this 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 younger case is not that. Um, also, I'm thinking if you're 83, I would say stay away from the sushi too. You know, yeah. um, again, we don't have the full age distribution. Um, obviously, the median age is 31, so most of these people are are healthy uh, adults. Um, you know, the median is at least around that that. Um, so, but but. 
boy, uh, yeah. I, I, and again, what I want to know is where did they eat the tuna, right? Where did they eat the sushi? Was it in fancy sushi restaurants? Was it in the mall sushi place? I, I think about this every time. I, I would contemplate getting, uh, you know, a sushi at a, at a mall or other location. I would just say, yeah, you know, I'm, I think maybe not. If I'm yeah. gonna, if I'm gonna get, and I'm not a big fan of sushi just because I don't, I don't like the taste of it too much. I have eaten it on occasion. I, I think I talked on the podcast about how uh, my Brazilian host took me out for a wonderful uh, meal of sushi one night, and it's, you know, it's great. And and when I logged all that into my calorie app, I was delighted as to how much I could actually eat, and it didn't have a lot of <laughs> calories. So yay, you know, good healthy healthy food. And I, I know fish is good for you, uh, and you should eat it. But um, so I have, bit, I, it's not like I don't ever eat it. But but I, you know, this just makes me concerned. And again, I, I, but I want more information. And of course, I know why there can't be more information because there's still an ongoing investigation. But I want to know what restaurants, you know? Right, right. And or if there was restaurants or where was it, you know? Right. And in this so CDC calls that out and says that this, at this time, a common brand or supplier uh, has not been identified. So there aren't any specific steps for restaurants, retailers, or consumers to take, which is very, mm. that's very good, right? Like, so this is where, where I like I mean, it's not very good in the sense that we don't know anything, but that's a good message from CDC because what what I think we see in the past is, oh, well, here, let's take this time to, to you know, re- recommend that you cook, chill, clean, and separate your food. But really, this one sounds like, well, raw fish could be an increased risk factor for salmonella, um, and, um, and we don't know which ones to avoid. So... So we don't really have anything to tell you yet, other than overall this might be uh, this might be a risk factor, and that's a that's a clear message that that shows that, that recognizes there's some there's a bunch of uncertainty here going on, but we're sharing with you all the information that we have right now, so you are aware that this is going on. I mean this this follows the. Uh, the playbook of the stuff that you and I have talked about time and time again on this uh, on this podcast. Um, Doug and I just uh, had a paper accepted um, about when to go public with information. I mean, essentially, it's it's a case, a bunch of case studies on different approaches and why some of them have been good and some of them have been bad. With the the recommendations at the end saying, look, um, public health folks need to establish what the criteria is for going public, not you know, not just sometimes doing it, sometimes not. And it sounds like, you know, that's reading this. It sounds like CDC is doing, doing that. They, they have information. They're putting it out there. They don't, you know, this could, this information it could impact how much sushi gets consumed maybe um, because there's uncertainty about it, but it's important that, that people know that this is going on as opposed to waiting until there's some, um, you know, definitive link. I, I like I said, I continue to praise CDC for how they share information. Well, but let me let me ask you this, okay? Okay. Okay. Thirty six people reported consuming sushi in the week before they became ill. Do we know anything about where those thirty six people got their sushi from? I'm assuming we know something. Now, yes, there is no definitive indication. Gotcha. But but 
But tell us. But tell you, us they really yeah. haven't. You said before they told us everything they knew. No, they didn't tell us everything they knew. And I understand the reasons why you wouldn't go forth with information that is not fully vetted or fully analyzed. Like I, I totally get that. But there is information that they're not sharing. And and again, they, there may be very good reasons there. I'm sure, that, and there are very good reasons. I could think of a lot of them. But but they haven't shared everything. And and again, so this is just me you know, being an, a bit of an ass here, I think, and pushing back a little bit to say, hey, look, uh, there, you, you, yes, you, you, you can't conclusively uh, identify the, the, the source, but you have information, right? Those 36 people know something, right? Yes, that's good. Yeah. Right. Did, did they, did they buy it from a supermarket? Did they buy it from a restaurant? Did they buy it from a chain? Um, you know, what was the source? And, and what, yeah. If if it came from multiple different spots, then tell us tell us that. I'll, I'll give I'll, I'll give you that, Don. You're you're. It's like it's like you're calling me on the stuff that I do. This is good because <laughs> it's it's true. There's stuff there's stuff out there that that is that's still that's still missing here that they probably know. Now they may be collating this information because in an outbreak investigation like this, like largely they would have, be relying on their state and local partners. Um, and, and it's, you know, multiple investigations going on, but, but even that, that sharing that kind of information, um, is, is good. I, uh, as you're, you were talking, I'm Googling to see if I can find some more stuff about it. Um, and, uh, there's a Yahoo report that says, um, uh, CDC in, uh, that's not in that, um, that link that, uh, you know, the outbreak link also said that people specifically said they ate spicy tuna. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tuna in spicy tuna is usually ground before serving that ah, or okay. more information, right? Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. So, yeah, the, the, the CDC report does say um, 81 percent, uh, uh, 81 percent. Yeah, well, whatever. 36 reported eating, 34 sushi uh, item containing raw tuna, 21 of the 26 uh, sp- uh, spicy tuna. So that that, and that is good information. Um, but I, the other thing, too, and I, this is sort of CDC's responsibility um, and maybe it's some of it's the web and, and Google. When I when I when I search for. CDC tuna salmonella, okay, the top hit on on my Google information browser um, is uh, uh, the tuna scrape outbreak from 2012. Now, I can go down the next bit is in the news, and there's a food safety news article, and then from there, I can get to the the CDC one. On the other hand, if I type in uh, to my Google internet browser, if I type in uh, FDA tuna salmonella, then the second hit uh, right below New York Daily News is uh, a link to the FDA page. So what I would say is... FDA is doing something right in terms of how they are getting their site indexed, and CDC is not. Now, it's a little um, – again, I'm being a little bit petty here, but I just – since often on this show we talk about the internet and how it relates to food safety. And again, I know Google is giving different people – serving different people different information. I'm very curious what happens on your browser when you type in FDA tuna salmonella or CDC tuna salmonella. I will give you a real-time answer to that. All right. FDA tuna salmonella, number – yeah, in the news, then investigation of multi-state. Yep. No, I get – I get uh, – FDA gives me uh, the new the, – the 2002 comes up first. 
Huh. Or 2012 comes up first. Huh. And then, so I didn't even, I don't even have a page on, uh, from FDA. And then CDC tuna salmonella. Mm-hmm. Um, also gives me the first one on the 2012. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And then a bunch of, then it's, I got to scroll all the way down. Okay. So, but weird, weird, the internet. Yeah. Um, it's a big deal though, this one, right? It is. Three people, the second, so second similar type of product that we've seen linked to salmonella. Um, we know from the last one, um, we, we know about some of the risk factors from the last one and what I learned from our back scrape discussions, um, way back in 2012 was that, um, if this does happen to be uh, a back scrape issue, that that back scrape is largely done by hand, um, and would, you know, maybe that, uh, hygiene or handling, uh, could become a factor here. Obviously it's, it's a little too early to know that, but, um, but that, that's something that we saw in, in the past. Um, and, and it's like, you know, I, I actually use this example quite a bit. Um, when we, in, in uh, it's analogous to the pomegranate seed, uh, linked, uh, frozen berry mixture outbreak from last year, where the more we, we kind of look at how, how we get certain food items, it's like, oh, hey, I didn't realize that that specific process was happening by hand. And it makes sense now that I, you know, that I think about it, but, um, you know, that, the that from a buyer standpoint, whether that be a retail store or a food service provider or a wholesaler, um, that's, that's an important sort of differentiation or important piece of info that, that they need to know as they're so selecting suppliers. You know, I, I can't imagine being in, in, you know, some of the people that we know that are, um, running food safety for, um, for retail stores where they're, they're kind of responsible for 50,000 different food items, right? Like assessing the safety or their, their team is, and then knowing what the process is on how that food gets to them and what the right questions to ask are, um, uh, uh, you know, as, as it gets, uh, uh, as it's created, it kind of boggles my mind. It makes me happy that, that we don't, well, that I don't do that. Um, but this is, you know, the, the more we kind of peel back the curtain on how food gets from places to places, the, um, you know, you see kind of these, some of these other risk factors jump to the, to the forefront. And so who knows where this one's going, but it's, I thought it was an interesting one from this morning. Yeah. And it'll be very interesting to see, uh, obviously how this, uh, continues to unfold as we, as we learn, uh, more information. So, um, the other thing I want to talk about, Ben, is hand-washing. No. Yeah. You know, is this, what is this? Hand-washing, uh, talk, talk, hand-washing safety talk. And so let me, let me share, uh, let me set, set this up. Let me tee this up for you as, as we say in the business. Um, so, uh, you and I were contacted by a colleague who we, we will, we will keep anonymous. Um, and who, and I, this is so great that people will reach out to us with questions like this. And she's, and, and so oh, I guess I said she, so anyway, so that's already uh, narrowed down the potential people, but, um, 
So our colleague emailed us to say, hey, can I run something by you to see if you have a comment? We have a conference coming up with our customers, and one presentation will be focused on health department information that we gather for our customers. We noticed a trend when looking at health department hand-washing provision findings. And so what this is is basically they do a data a statistical analysis or data mining on health department results looking at the question um, not not um, when to wash or hand washing technique but looking at is a hand wash sink available is the sink uh, clean and unobstructed by dishes? Are there, is there soap available at the hand wash sink? Is there a towel available, etc.? And what, what uh, she noted is that these violations from, from 20, in 2013 and 2014, health department violations for these increased um, um, 15 to 18%. So in other words, if you look at the data, uh, it was 12% violations in 2010, 14% in 2011, 16% in 2012, 19% in 2013. Um, so like, like uh, that is a, a year over year, a very significant increase. Um, and, and it's a very clear trend. Now you have to be a little bit careful and, you know, over, over analyzing things, but, but boy, it sure does look significant to me. And she says, um, so do you have any insight as to what's going on? We're, we're having a bit of a stall with telling the story, um, because the regulatory background, that is the, the food code, uh, per, you know, food code language around this hasn't changed. Do you, do you have any thoughts on increased numbers from health departments? Uh, what's happening? Why is there this increased vigilance? And then, of course, because we um, are, are you know somewhat connected in the food safety world, you and I have a, a, a mutual friend and colleague who, who has agreed to be identified, and, and that is uh, Michelle Samart. Tim, who is uh, a, um, a registered environmental health specialist right here in New Jersey in Somerset County, just the next uh, county over from where I am working now in uh, in Middlesex County, um, who, interestingly enough, I seldom see in New Jersey. We are usually right. somewhere else where, when we see each other. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, so she, and so I emailed her and I, and I said um, – so, well, first of all, what I said to us and to our, our colleague who, who contacted us, um, uh, this is an interesting trend and it looks real to me. I don't know why this might be happening except to say maybe because of norovirus outbreaks, this is something that health departments are more sensitive to. Um, I do need to go back and look at our, our data within, within Rutgers to see whether we see the same thing. We, we shouldn't necessarily because it's, it's a somewhat of a separate system. So I'm, I'm interested to see you know if there's some uh, increase uh, slackerliness going on that might be causing that, but we'll get back to that in a minute. Um, our, our colleague Michelle writes, um, uh, uh, other than what I mentioned, which is again just you know norovirus and things like that, generally uh, giving people some you know thoughts as they ought to focus on that. She is not aware of any particular call to health inspectors to focus on that. Um, uh, citing lack of access to hand sink and supplies is a definitive way of illustrating barriers. If workers are inconvenienced, they're not likely to wash, which of course we agree. Um, uh, let's see. She says, um, uh, one possible reason for this kind of data to come to the forefront, health departments are concentrating on public health accreditation. This requires assessment and metrics for all programmatic areas. areas. So 
departments that never before looked at their most common violations may be doing so now. And then she also uh, mentions uh, uh, CDC information, their worker hand-washing study, and we'll, we'll link to this um, in, in the show notes. But it may be uh, that you know just because CDC is promoting this, um, uh, that may drive uh, some health departments to, to look at this. Um, uh, her, her question is, perhaps a good focus is not on why these violations are being cited, but why are they occurring? Um, what, can health, what can food service establishments do to minimize these barriers? How can health departments, or at least this, this person who asked us the question, help an establishment improve hand-washing practices? Um, so anyway, um, and, and again, she just raises those as open-ended questions. So um, I know uh, when our anonymous colleague reached out to us, you had some questions um, about like, well, is this real or you wanted some more information? So what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on all this, Ben? Ben, are you on mute? Did I lose I'm you? On, no, no, I'm on mute. I'm on mute. That was my fault. <laughs> um, but I started telling you my thoughts and, and then, then you didn't hear me. Um, my, my thoughts are, are exactly that. I wonder how, how real it is. I guess I have two questions. And this is this is me giving you the the uh, the data statistics gears. Mm. What's the denominator? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so I don't. We, what what we don't have is what. How many inspections are are we talking about? How was this data collected? Is there a significant difference between twelve percent and nineteen percent? Um, and the denominator would would tell us. Like I mean, the, really, we have to. We need some. St- significance testing, I think. Right. You're, you're right. And, and from what I know about this company, they collect a boatload of data. And so right. my intuition without knowing, and you're absolutely right to call out the denominator in this. And in fact, in the, in the image that was provided to us, we can see that it's also 19% in 2014, but the bar is slightly lower, which means that the denominator is different. So obviously year over year, the denominator might be different. My intuition is based on the number of places that they survey, which is likely in the hundreds based on other data I've seen from this company, I suspect that those differences are statistically significant. But that is only my intuition. I obviously haven't crunched the numbers on this. So so my, my sense, which is what I said in the email, my sense is, without looking further, is that it's real. But you're absolutely right to say, um, let's not conclude that it's real until we, 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 we crunch the numbers. Right, right. And so that, that was my, my, I guess, my first one. My second one is, what what we're looking at, you know, based on who the um, who this company is, they they serve a wide variety of establishments nationwide, and um, I, I want so what what if we really really wanted to drill into these numbers, I would want to see which of the states that they're collecting this data from have changed the food code year or focus of their inspections. Um, to that may swing this, and I say that from, um, f- you know, from a real situation here in North Carolina. In 2012, we went from a version of the food code which was prior to 1993. It was actually a 1976 version that with lots of amendments. No, <laughs> yes, to the 2009 code, and so you know we're not we're not a massive state, but the inspection regime, the food code, how it was applied definitely changed. And it wouldn't surprise me that we would have a drop in violations around hands, not hands, um, walls, floors, sinks, Ce- yeah. you know, ceilings, that, that whole process, mm-hmm. and a, fo- more, a larger focus on risk-based um, 
uh, your larger focus on on the risk factors and seeing it. So so I would so without seeing all the data, I think you would have to look at it as, as what are the global things that have happened uh, around the food safety regulation and what's been been applied. Um, you know, we, I know South Carolina has gone through the same thing. Uh, California has had a, a recent change, um, in, two, in 2014, uh, on certain. So, so there are, there are states out there that have changed. Um, and although the food code, and this is what, you know, the, I guess the piece that, that I wanted to focus on, um, at, you know, as we get the answers to, the, to my questions were the, although the food code hasn't changed, the versions of the food code that people have adopted has, um, and, and we don't, so that, that matters, I guess, um, to me. Right. And, and well, and I would say too, number one, I, I really thought that New Jersey was one of the last to move from the 1970s to the, the 1990s or the 2000s when we made that switch a number of years ago. So on the one hand, uh, I'm glad that we weren't last, that, that, the, that we were ahead of North Carolina. So, you know, go, uh, go Rutgers or go, go New Jersey. Um, well, but, yes, but, but. <laughs> because many other states had already adopted basically, uh, adopted a more modern version of the food code. Um, but you're, but that's, and so, yeah, I, I wonder again, my, my, my gut feeling would be that's not what's driving it. Um, because I think a, a lot of states, um, ha- have been on a more modern version of the food code for some time, but, but again, I, I could be wrong on that as well. Well, and let me, let's go to the New Jersey example. So according to FDA, you are following the 2001 food code. Well, so, well, that's that's good because prior to that we were in the 1970s. So right, right, yeah. yeah. But but the so uh, the risk based nature of how the inspections are conducted, I think, is is different between those 2001 and 2009. So so uh, in or 2013. So I would even suggest that even though the wording is the same for provision of hand washing sinks, how that's applied in an inspection is going to be different state by state. And those movement, those changes, I think could impact this. And again, we don't know where all the data is coming from. Um, the, the other piece that, um, that, uh, you know, that, that I kind of highlighted here, uh, you know, as, as I looked at it, um, was what, Oh, um, there's something else and it has to do with inspection. Oh yeah. No, is the FDA risk factor study. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there's a retail risk factor study that was, that that's been going on really, um, in different, um, iterations, uh, 1998, 2003 and 2008, the 2008 data I think was, was, um, released in 2010 and and I know from from the folks here, we're going through a retail risk factor study right now. That has really changed how local health departments have focused things. So just building on what what our friend Michelle had talked about, um, it could be that there is this national piece of information that is outside of the food code that is changing how local health departments are looking at specific risk factors. And right. so that, you know, just the more information that hand washing in that one, it was very, you know, uh, so it, it was a risk factor study, not looking at the provision of hand washing, but poor personal hygiene as a risk factor, um, full service restaurants, um, and fast food restaurants were compliant with the personal hygiene, 
um, portions of that risk factor study the lowest out of any of the sectors if we look at the 2008 data. So it's only 59% of full-service restaurants um, were compliant with the risk factor and 76% of fast food restaurants. And if we compare that to... um, Grocery store departments, you're in the 90% uh, of compliance with it. So being that the individual who asks us this question services um, food service individuals, that this risk factor study may have impacted, you know, it may have focused things in on the specific types of hand hygiene um, factors and infrastructure that are, that are needed because of this, uh, what was found in that, in, in that risk factor study. Hmm. That's my that's my guess at it. I think yeah. things have, I, like I mean, other than um, Michelle's thought is no, you know, there isn't maybe a national directive at it. I think that the local health departments that I work with here in our state, they pay attention to what FDA puts out in those risk factor studies, and then do inform what they do based on it. Right, right. So I don't know, but who, who knows, right, Don? Yeah, well, and and maybe maybe we'll learn some more uh, as this progresses. But I, again, I just I just thought it was really cool that um, a colleague reached out to us and that we actually had something useful to share, and uh, and we had a good we had a good uh, uh, email discussion about this, which uh, you know it's it's always exciting to me when when we can do yeah. that. Like people actually they call us every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. It's nice. Um, so um, do you want to talk about Bluebell a little bit? I do. We yeah. I want. I, that was. Um, that's on my list too. Okay. So I, and I specifically want to start. So I, I have to say that one of the 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 places that I get good information and, and probably don't spend enough time reading uh, that I should um, is uh, information from uh, David Atchison's uh, the Atchison Group. And and so David is a former. Uh, he's an MD, former FDA, or um, who uh, has done has been a consultant for a while and been most recently out on his own um, uh, in, in his uh, consulting uh, group, the Atchison Group, or TAG, T-A-G, very clever. Um, and, um, and he has a, a blog post um, uh, that uh, uh, recently um, uh, came out uh, entitled, FDA Tosses a Grenade on the Table with Bluebell 483 Reports. What do these mean to the industry? And then for, for those that listen that don't know what uh, 483 reports, these are uh, basically inspectional reports when, when FDA goes into a facility they, they, they write up what are called 483s. And so you'll hear um, now, you know, what what are the 482 things that come before that? I don't know. But but a 483 is, is, a, is a kind of inspection uh, form that, that FDA will generate. And um, and so there is a and this was, again, thanks to, to David and his group for for really um, uh, actually it looks like uh, James Atchison wrote this. And I, I don't know. Uh, that must be uh, related to David somehow. But but anyway, James Atchison wrote wrote this um and basically they the 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 post reads uh, FDA made recently made its 483 inspectional observations reports available for the three bluebell facilities the agency inspected uh, I've read many 483s most don't hold huge surprises they can describe some pretty bad conditions but a typical 483 is that that is what I expected it might not be what the plant personnel expected but a food safety person um, is going to read the 483 and think oh, 
oh, okay, right. Uh, it's like uh, it's the usual comments. It's the sort of same thing about, well, you'd see that in, in most food plants that you'd go into. Um, but there were a number of things that this that this blog post calls out, um, and, and there are uh, three points here, and I'll, I'll share each of them with you, and then and I'll let you run for a while on, on reactions or, or other comments. So uh, point number one, um, failure to perform microbial testing when necessary to identify sanitation failures, possible food contamination, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the sampling program failed to include uh, sampling food contact surfaces, determination of listeria species, and root cause analysis. So the, 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 three, the three questions posed by the post are, does this mean FDA expects us to do zone one testing, that is food contact set testing, on a, a routine basis? Um, based on the 483, the answer is yes, um, but if so, when should this be done? Um, uh, next question, if we find listeria species, we have to get it typed to determine what type of listeria it is. Again, based on this 483, FDA will write you up if you stop at listeria species. And then third question, does this mean every time we have a positive finding, do we need to document root cause analysis? Maybe, or is it only multiple positives? And those those three questions would be very interesting. So again, I hope people in the industry are reading this and thinking about this because this may reflect a change on the part of what FDA expects the industry to do. Um, point two, uh, you stated the results of your daily, daily coliform testing on finished product, uh, blah, blah, blah. The sampling program failed to include the determination of pathogenicity from coliform outlet, out isolates. Does this mean, the question then posed by the, the blog poster. Does this mean we find coliforms in the finished product or ingredients uh, being added post-lethality? We need to determine if the coliforms would be considered pathogens. Again, the answer would appear to be from reading this 483. The answer would be yes. Now, this may indicate a a change in the way FDA is going to uh, perhaps uh, enforce food safety in the industry. And then point number three, and this is the last one, failure to store clean and sanitized portable equipment in a manner that protects food contact surfaces. So questions, are you, if you're storing equipment that has a food contact surface, should that equipment have food contact surface fully exposed and protected, even if you're going to clean and sanitize it prior to using it? Um, um, uh, does it mean that all entries to a sanitary or ready-to-eat area in a plant uh, needs to have a process for cleaning and sanitizing footwear. Uh, this is a common practice, but is it now a requirement? Um, and then is FDA declaring war on wood pallets? Because there's a, a comment in here on wood pallets. Uh, wood pallets are known to be a problem. Is FDA making it clear you should not use wood pallets if they're damaged, discolored, or soiled? Um, what about use them for food that will subsequently be used um, you know, uh, in, in other areas of the plant? So... Um, so really, what is going on here? Is it, do these observations mean that FDA is signaling uh, that they are going to be doing things a little bit differently? Um, I don't know. But boy, again, if I was a, somebody in the food industry, I'd be watching very carefully. And that's, again, that's sort of the punchline from the blog post. Uh, quote, my message to the industry is watch out and learn from others' mistakes, which is, of course, always my comment. And I've said that repeatedly now with, with Bluebell. So what... What what do you what do you have to say about where we are with Bluebell these days, Ben? Well, you know, I think that this uh, the 43s are, are interesting because the ones that the 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 points that that David brings out are all for ones that happen during this investigation, right? So so blue so FDA 
released at the same time a whole bunch of 483s that they had um, issued in the past to Bluebell, you know, in Texas and Alabama and uh, in, in Oklahoma. And in those previous 483s, so like peacetime 483s, right? If we look at, right. um, you know, non-outbreak investigation, there was some stuff in there uh, that that would not, you know, that, that would constitute um, documenting, you know, things like condensation that was dripping on the line, um, the, some uh, some employee hygiene issues, but nothing specifically into um, the listeria sampling uh, in you know product or in environmental. In that all those ones came out of the post, you know, dur- not post like post being linked to, to illnesses. So, so I almost think that there are, there are kind of two different things to, uh, to take away from it. One is all of the, the points here are, are really how FDA, I think is treating companies when they've been linked to, to, you know, an illness or illnesses in this case, tragically some deaths, um, or, 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 or something that's, that's caused a recall. But in that, so, so I don't know if it if it's a game changer, you know, to not overuse that word, but um, it, or that term in in times for general inspections because there was nothing in those general inspections that would kind of mention any of that stuff. Like those are just the post post outbreak ones. But but here's but here's the thing: if if you're doing something pre outbreak, um, and it's not how FDA is going to treat you post-outbreak, at that point, you don't know if you caused an outbreak yet. So there is no, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you you can can talk about a difference pre and post, but for a company, I mean, a a food company is always pre-outbreak, right? I mean, unless you're post-outbreak, right? So you're always in that pre-outbreak mode, but you could always, you could be post-outbreak at any time. Right. I, I guess this is, to me, this is, a, I guess, a criticism of the FDA process right. Right. is that what makes, I know that post-outbreak makes a difference, but how, how come the listeria testing, you know, environmental and product testing wasn't highlighted at the, during an inspection that happened pre-outbreak? Right, 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 and th- and that is That's the I, problem. I, yeah. right, and I think that so, and, and Atchison is very careful in his comments. I don't think he criticizes FDA, but in between the lines, there's a yeah. criticism of FDA, and that that they're really, um, I don't want to say double standard, but it's not clear, right? And and again, you know, and I understand the the challenges of working in a regulatory environment. Um, there are ways that FDA can communicate, and then there are ways that FDA can communicate and and they sometimes like ways that are these sort of indirect signaling ways yeah. right so uh, and that leads to uh, yeah it leads to reading of tea leaves yeah um, it, uh, it, it yeah and I think that this it is very interesting these 43s uh, look very similar to what we saw the change when it came to Jensen farms as well there were Subtle between the lines looks at um, expectations for environmental sampling and cleaning and sanitation that that weren't expressed, especially for that type of facility that that some would even argue. You know, if we look at Jensen, that they would argue that um, well, it's not processing and it doesn't you know at that at that time did not have to follow the GMPs, but yet the forty three GMPs are being held up um, for them. So 
I, I agree with with David's comments that this changes a lot, and it gives a very clear situation um, with what with what ex, what FDA may be expecting, but without writing it down that they're expecting it. Right. right? Like, right. I mean, I guess that's the the simple side of it, but. Um, it's you know David raises questions of of a whole bunch of other things in here about timing and what someone you know needs to, needs to do and and it's never it's never an issue unless there are illnesses but if there are illnesses then then yeah you need to have been do, you need to have, need to have been doing these things yeah you need a time machine right yeah <laughs> I mean yeah it's like well you don't have to do any of these things until you cause an outbreak and then you should have already been doing them which is which is a, is a, a, a impossible situation. Right, 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 right. And I don't know what to do with it, right? Like, I mean, is it, does, is it going to matter? Uh, and this, this might, this is a question for for Marler in this in this situation, right? Like, how do you, how does he use a four eighty three in the lawsuits that that are um, that that are, have been filed? If if this information is best practices. And the industry, and it's an industry standard, for instance, right? Like whatever that means, and it's not in a 483, is that a different situation than when it actually is in now a federal government document that says you should have been doing these things before, or we're going to you know, document that you weren't doing these things before. We're not going to tell you exactly what you should have been doing. We don't have a, any sort of um, standard differentiation. But now we've got an FDA document that says it, not just, yes, everyone else in the industry was doing this. Like I, I think it changes that, that aspect. Or you know, my guess is that it does. But but we'd have to ask Bill that question, right? And I would I would be I would be very interested to hear from any of our industry colleagues, especially those that would let's say work in frozen foods or in ice cream, uh, to say, well, okay, what do you guys think of Atchison's post, and what are you going to do differently? Again, and anonymous or 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 whatever, anonymous or 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 uh, you know, confidential. I would be very interested to know, like what what is going on right now in specific specifically in the ice cream industry. And, and maybe we'll get, um, we'll get some of that, get an opportunity to talk about some of that um, at, at, in Portland this summer. But it would be, yeah, I think it would be, it would be very interesting to know just how fast. My sense, and it's totally an intuitive sense, it's not based on anything. My sense is that I can kind of hear um, the industry scrambling, right? But, but I would very much like to know if that's right, and if so, and who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe most of the people that we know that work for larger food companies, they they got this stuff nailed, and they've had it nailed, and they're like, oh yeah, that was uh, you know, Bluebell was clearly didn't know what they were doing, and et cetera, et cetera, and and yeah, we're we're fine, we're fine, we're not we're not worried because we're doing all this stuff, or or maybe not. So I don't know. It would be great to hear from people that that might have some insight. <sighs> yeah, it's yes, I find this frustrating, Don. So, in what way? Okay, so so here's one thing that I do like about FDA is they have this policy, and I don't know if it's written somewhere. Some FDA or just told me this, but if they get three Freedom of Information Act requests on the same thing, that they just put it up publicly. So that's what they have here, right? They've created this. Oh, did you know that? No. So maybe that's like not even a real rule, but someone told me that. Huh. Well, you know, if, and again, yeah. we know people at FDA that listen. So uh, tell us if this yeah. is a real thing or not. So, so I, my guess is that's how this happened. Was you, they created this page and say, "Here are all the 43s that we have associated with Bluebell Creameries," and it goes back to 2009. 
And here you go. Here you go. This is this is all of it. Why why isn't this public all the time? Well, we've talked about this before on on the podcast, Ben, with respect to USDA FSIS data. I was part of a a National Academy group that looked at public – making public inspection data publicly available. And yeah, and you and I agree on this wholeheartedly. This is all – I mean we are taxpayers, right? We are paying taxes. Part of those taxes go to the FDA. That information um, it pays the salary the, – the, the taxes pay the inspector's salary. The information is being collected to protect my food supply, my, the taxpayer food supply. Why should this information not be available? And again, I know I, I can trot – I can give you yeah, yeah. all the industry arguments why we don't want to make it available. Uh, and again, you can see a lot of that in this uh, FSIS, um, the, the report from National Academy that talks about all of the, the meat industry's concerns. Well, people won't know how to interpret it. They'll take it as a – like they won't – they don't understand. That you know that sometimes things are dirty and they don't get cleaned, and blah blah blah. But it's like, well, yeah, but it, but releasing the data is only going to help you because now we'll have a baseline. Now we can know, like, what is a typical 483 in an ice cream plant, right? Right. And, yeah. And, and 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 that and that and here and we live in a world. We live in a big data world, right? The big data world is is here or it's coming and. And and there are people out there that would love to get access to that data to ask just exactly these kinds of questions. And again, the same question that came from our colleague about hand washing. Well, they have this huge database, but but guess what? Public inspectors are inspecting restaurants all the time. Why is that information not out, available and out there so that we can ask a, a, a version of the same question of that data? Ah. <sighs> This taxpayer taxpayer funded data collection. Why is it not available to taxpayers without me, without yeah. Freedom of Information Act request uh, Act request? Right, right. And let me let me give you another place where this has business to business impacts. So yeah, maybe the consumer world doesn't ex- doesn't understand it, and and maybe people shouldn't put it out there because it's going to be used incorrectly. Blah blah blah. I, you know, and I, you know my thoughts on that, and how I think that's garbage. And and really, if you're making food and you're trying to sell it to people. And they don't understand it, then it's your job to tell them what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, but let, let's put ourselves in um, one of our retailer friends' shoes, and you're buying ice cream from 15 different people. And now that you have this public database of 43s that have been linked to, you know, that that have been that have been provided to those businesses, not linked to, provided to those businesses because FDA has gone into that into that. Um, that setting and said, we found something that you, we need you to correct. I really want to know that as a buyer, like not as a consumer buyer. I want to know that as a retail or food service buyer. And these ones wouldn't give me any indication that, oh my gosh, you're about to have a listeria outbreak or you've been having problems with this for a long time. You know, the, the ones that happen pre pre outbreak are things like specifically on 72309 a stainless steel pipe conveying liquid caramel was located directly over the 3 gallon filler station for triple caramel ice cream lot blah 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 condensate had collected on the pipe and about 1 drop of condensate per minute was observed falling into 3 empty gallon cartons just prior to filling and packaging you know what i want to know that if i'm buying from you and i'm going to tell you to fix it yeah like yeah. It, that it, it's not it's not this smoking gun of all these bad things that happen, but but this is the kind of stuff that 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 gets missed in in a food safety audit. That someone is out there specifically doing a 
a, a public health protection in, inspection and there's a document that goes over it that, that, that is created because of it, that stuff's got to be out there. And I and if I'm really good at my job and I'm buying 20,000 different food items, I've got someone on my team who is actively looking for for 483 and warning letters. And and I want to know if I'm buying from you that you had this because I may still keep you as a supplier, but I need to know that you fixed this condensation that's falling into these three empty gallon cartons. Yeah, yeah, and and we and we've seen we've seen um, situations before where uh, the the retail and food service people have kind of allied themselves with public health to kind of force upstream changes, and and that that may be part of it. And oh, and the other thing too, in a more positive note, so I was just doing a little bit of googling um, around this um, um, National Academy thing that I was involved with for uh, release of establishment specific data, and I did see as a result of that that there is a document from uh, January of this year uh, called the Draft FSIS Establishment-Specific Data Release Strategic Plan. And so obviously FSIS is moving forward with this. They have a draft for stakeholder comment as to, um, you know, kind of why they're doing this with, yeah. you know, and, 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 the, and the, the National Research Council study and, um, and, and their plan to move forward. So I guess the good news is, is that we do seem to be moving, all of this is moving forward, right? We're, we started off the podcast talking about Preventive Controls Alliance, which is on the FDA side. We see stuff happening on the FSIS side. So we're, we're getting there, just maybe not as fast and as well as we'd like. But, but progress, if you look, if you take a long enough uh, uh, time scale, progress is being made, right? So and that's good. Yeah, no, it, it is good. And, it, and at least we're talking about this, right? Like five years ago, who knew that there were 483s other than the people that received them? Right. Right. Like, I mean, the, or, the, or the people that were called upon to help respond. Now this 483 discussion is happening in the public realm. That's a good thing. Like, right. the, the, you know, the, the, yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing, we're seeing progress, uh, you know, on that. Um, I don't, I don't envy being in, in FDA's shoes on this. And, you know, cause you know, early on, I don't know if you saw some of the headlines that happened when they released these, the, these 483s, but, the you know the headlines said things like FDA knew that Bluebell had listeria back in 2013, which is not true based on the 483s. Mm-hmm. But that's and so then then FDA had to put out a statement saying no, these are the things that we actually did see. Um, those other ones came out after we did this investigation or while we were doing the investigations, and that's what led to a much larger outbreak or uh, recall uh, scope. Um, uh, um, what else was I going to mention about this? Just that, oh, two other sort of bluebell things that we that we haven't talked about. One is um, how it, it, something like this, you know, really really impacts a company and its employees. Bluebell laid oh, off yeah. a third of their, you know, thirty seven percent of their staff. Yeah, that's a, um, that's really sad. It is, and and it, I can tell you from a you know the most uh, overhyped and uh, and bandied around terminology that that we were part of is the food safety culture, um, and <laughs> um, and, uh, and here's here's one you want to get people to buy into why to do cleaning and sanitation correctly and how to to do food safety um, how to take their you know take control of the things that you're asking them to do. This is a 
here's an example. Things go wrong, and it's it's systematic, right? It's that whomever it, it, it's a decision maker situation plus. You know, somewhere if we look at um, some of the sanitation stuff down and and um, the hygiene that was in the 483s down to, to frontline folks, th- that if things don't go right and they go wrong really quickly, then then a whole bunch of people are out of jobs. Like this company, I I don't know whether it'll still exist. And, well, I, I mean, we, who knows? Like we can we can't predict stuff. But. Yeah, the, I mean, yeah. The the Barf blog headline is uh, Bluebell lays off uh, uh, one thousand four hundred and fifty workers. One thousand four hundred more are furloughed. I mean, that is that's not crazy. good. Like four, that's four in ten of the Bluebell workforce. That's that's really sad, and I feel bad for them, right? Because. I guess on the one hand, you could say, well, they were responsible, but, you know, it really wasn't them, right? It was, right. It was probably it's a very yeah. few people within the, associate, within the organization that either, that either were negligent or were just not paying attention. Um, and, that's, and that's really sad. And I feel bad for the like, – and again, a lot of these food processing plants are located in areas where that's the job, right? And right. so it's that's- like if, if you – if the, the company that is most of the jobs in your town goes out of business um you have to move and or you or you have to i mean it's 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 a tragedy it's horrible and obviously it's tragedy too for the people who lost their lives that's that's a sad thing too but yeah there's just there's a lot of uh a lot of anguish to go around um for a lot of folks so i feel i feel bad for everybody yeah it's it's pretty wild and you you know you and i talked about this in in our um previous podcast about sort of the impacts around what what bluebell means you know economic wise for some of those um those small towns and and really that um that it's important for companies of any size to have someone who's doing food safety that they're part of the food safety community right like like i think we we looked quickly up last time that that bluebell doesn't have a Anybody who's who is associated with Bluebell that we could find from the membership directory, a, a member of IAFP. Exactly. Yep. And that's it, it, some of those questions that that David asks in his um, in his blog post are are really like if you have someone who's a food microbiologist there that that someone who's in the know they're part of the the network that they're exchanging information with other food safety professionals maybe they have a sounding board to to bounce these things off of and again we don't know we just we just know that we couldn't find anybody in the the membership directory who knows maybe right. there's somebody there that we that we just not you know we don't know everybody right right um but that you know those are the folks that that could really be making some decisions on if you find you know listeria do you go type it and if you you know because because fda clearly wants you to do that right and, and right you would want to do it right like well a, would you though I that's think I the would. that's the problem because, uh, because what because here's the damned if you do damned if you don't situation mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um so now that I know that if something happens and FDA is going to expect me to have already done it, then yeah, I think I got to go type it. And what is it? Does it change what you're going to do if it's zone one from a management standpoint? I I would argue it probably doesn't change much at all because that's true. Because that's I a good point. Probably was going to recall that product anyway. If I found it anyway. That's a good point. And, 
right. But and that didn't. And I mean, Bluebell didn't do that. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. So, but it, it's different if we're finding it in other zone non-food contact surfaces. Right. right. But but if I'm finding listeria in a food contact surface, and I've got a ready food that's going down there, I'm gonna have a real serious discussion with my you know with my operation team on whether how big the recall is, not not whether we're having one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and. You know, and speaking speaking of IAFP, I just did um, it, the the membership database does allow you to search um, for text strings, and so I did a search for ice, and that was not informative. Um, but I did a search because ice is, is is part of other words. But I did a search for cream, and I do want to call out the uh, the the Penn State Creamery uh, for two members uh, that are members that are associated with that. I want to call out uh, Nestle Dryers Grand Ice Cream Company. I want to call out. Perry's Ice Cream Company, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people associated with Perry's Ice Cream Company that are members of IAFP. Um, Peter's Ice Cream, one person. Gifford's Ice Cream, one person. And Shope's Ice Cream Company, one person. So so good for you guys. I bet that you're pretty safe. Now, now all you got to do is come to the annual meeting. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> and... and- and exchange information and yes. maybe help sort this out. Like, I, I mean, I think if Don and I, I know you still have some, uh, some pull, I don't know if there's late breaking sessions, but this, I mean, being able to answer some of these questions that David raises on what the industry wants to do, maybe this will come up in one of the PDG groups, but I think this, these are really good questions on establishing what the best practice is, or I shouldn't say best practice, what the industry standards are, if there are any. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. And uh and uh, yeah, I mean it's yeah, we'd, we there there's a lot of questions here to be to be answered and and I have I have uh, even as a, the president I had limited influence on the association. Right, right. But uh but yeah, certainly uh late late breakings. Well, and there's you know, I don't want to get into the the parsing uh, uh nuances here of language, but there's a definition of a late breaking session and uh this this would not qualify because it's not late breaking like uh but but anyway, there are ways that and I'm sure I'm sure that we will uh if not this year in future Years, we will have a chance to talk about Bluebell, um, and there will be there will be ample opportunity. Um, you know, and again, we will have uh, we will have uh, uh, USDA and FDA uh, high ranking officials uh, at uh, the meeting addressing us. So, you know, there'll be a chance to talk to Mike Taylor or Alamaza um, about these kind of issues, and and so there will be an opportunity. So, so come come to Portland. I'll be in Portland. Will there be a golf tournament? Is really can we have a late breaking golf tournament? Well, here's the thing, Ben. Um, <laughs> you can have a golf tournament anytime you want. A- all you a- have anywhere. to all anytime, anywhere. All you have to do is organize it. Yeah, I, and in fact, I don't even have to. I can just show up to someone else's golf tournament. Yeah, like, and you can you can food safety you can tournament. you can you can show up yourself and play golf with one person, and you can call we, it a tournament. We, call it a tournament. <laughs> yeah, it's a com- it's a competition. Oh man! There will be there will be bourbon. There will be bourbon. Um, details to be determined, and uh, there I, will be Merlin Man. Oh, I can't wait. I I drink and, your milkshake <laughs> of bourbon. <laughs> Get that? See, there will be dr- bourbon. Get the reference I made there. It's from the, there will be blood. Oh yeah, sure. I get that. Huh? It's a good movie. It's a, it's a movie. Okay, yeah, I get that. Yeah, it's the my left my left foot. Okay, same guy. Got it. Uh, oh, okay. It's got ninety one percent on uh, the Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, okay. There will be haters if you uh, 
You Google that. Hater, um, haters gonna hate. Haters gonna hate. Hey, so uh, I think we. I think that's a. I think that's a show. I think that's let's, a show. Um, I will. Uh, let's call it. Let's call it there. Let's okay. uh, let's 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 blow the whistle on this baby, and say uh, injury time is over. <laughs> Um, we, uh, it's, it's a, I think it's a, one, a nil, nil draw <laughs> and, uh, and we both made it past the round of uh, 16 to the world cup. So now we, now we have a shootout. Now we got a shootout. Yeah. We're going to have, we'll in after dark, you know, I'll have a shootout. All right. We'll riff. That's what they call it in the, uh, in the standup comedians world. Is that what they we're call just, it? Yeah. We'll just, we're just, we'll just sit around doing some riffing. Riffing. <laughs> riffing. I think it's riffing. It's, it's not with a. It's an I and apostrophe. Right, right. Sorry, Riffin. Riffin, Riffin. Um, Riffin. Do you know door. that Sam's middle? <laughs> huh? Yeah. Do you know that Sam's middle name is Griffin? <laughs> that is so cool. That is. is the best middle name ever. It's not. It's not bad. Jack's middle name is pretty awesome because it's Neil. Yeah, Neil that's. Young. They're both. They're both. You've you've done. You've done well both in naming and raising your kids. Ah, uh, we'll we'll see. They're, they well, they've worked out well so far. So far, it's it's too. There's, there's still time. There's still time. Uh, yeah, it could it could go all it could all go awry. Hey, uh, so that's uh, that's food safety talk um, with uh, Don Schaffner and Ben Chapman. Um, we're getting really formal at the end sign off here. Um, please, uh, go to the iTunes, uh, check, check out the reviews, ratings, all that stuff in the iTunes store. If you like what we do, let us know. If you don't like what we do, let us know. Yeah. We'll rate, talk about it. Rate it's the awful. show. Ben, ben sent me, uh, recently, I couldn't find it for discussion on the podcast, but Ben sent me a recent review. Um, and so thank you to that person for reviewing us. We, we do, we do appreciate the reviews, good, good and bad. Um, but, but please tell us uh, that you like the show. Send us any, there's a contact form on our website. Send us an email. Let us know what you like, what you didn't like. Uh, you know, give us, give us insider dirt on the industry. We'll, we'll keep it anonymous for you um thanks yeah tell us about the ice cream if you if you're in the ice cream industry here's the here's the review because we i like to read our reviews i found it and it's from culinary heritage um it's a it's a nice one this one makes it makes us swoon you and i it says can't say enough good things about this podcast i i'm in the car or walking a lot easy to listen to full of solid clearly presented science space with laughs this is a podcast from experience perspective as inquisitive, topical, and honest as it is state-of-the-art and old school. And that's what I want Oh, my God. It's like... Oh, it's, my God. Thank it's you. It's like my mom wrote it with all the right words that, that I want to hear about us. That was very nice. It's very... Thank you, Culinary Heritage, for the very, very kind words. Yes. Awesome. Um, hey, so uh, I'll talk to you later, Don. All right. Bye, Ben. Bye.
Got any after dark? Got anything anything juicy? Anything we should talk about? Oh, I have something really juicy that I cannot share with you. Oh well, we can. But you can I, uh, put it well, through the through your mind, Mel. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me let me see what I can tell you. So, um, I had a phone call um, with <laughs> the the end with Merlin this week oh. about talking about IAFP, oh. and he told me. About a super secret thing that I can't share that is, is like super cool and meaningful to me and may not be super cool and meaningful to you, but it's just a good thing that's happening. Cool. Well, you're not, you're not, you're not scooping anybody. Yeah. And, and according, according to Merlin, I was the first and obviously, and probably by the time this comes out, this will not be news at all. Uh, This will not be secret at all. So, but um, but apparently I was the first civilian, he used that word, the first civilian he told about this. So I felt very honored and then he shared it with me and, um, it's, it's, pretty it's a pretty awesome thing um so anyway but and you probably won't even care about it but and nor, nor will most of the people on this except for bats that's oh, cool. bats might care that's my care but yeah so bats uh, so i i gotta get back with bats because i really want to do this daily daily thing. yeah i want to do this daily, like 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 a four minute eight minute whatever it is it's not like a whole conversation but it's just something where where we're like hey this is going on today there we go. Yeah, and I, I'm, 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 you know, count me in. I'm totally willing yeah. to help whatever, whatever help you need. Seeing as how so much help on this show. No, it's perfect. It's good. It's good. It's good. Like it's, it's something new. So, so yeah. we, you know, I gotta get, I gotta make sure we that happens. Um. So what else was I gonna tell you? Uh, did I tell you last time that I'm taking the boys to go see Bare Naked Ladies and the Violent Femmes? No. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Their first concert. So Bare Naked Ladies, I mean, there's some nostalgia and kitsch because we're from Canada. Yeah. But the Violent Femmes, come on. Who's, wow. who Could you have a cooler first time? Could I have a cooler dad than you? No. No, no. Not possible. Not possible at all. Nice. So I'm the coolest, coolest nice. dad in the, in the, on the shelf. Nice. Coolest dad well, in the I, pantry. I, I took my sons uh, to see. I think I took my. I think I took my sons to see Fountain. At least one of them. I don't remember. Obviously, very memorable uh, to see Fountains of Wayne um, when yeah, they, when they played here. That was that was pretty cool. But they were they were much older. So I, I, this one, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see if they even survive. It's it's Fourth of July, so it's like downtown oh. Raleigh in this big amphitheater. Oh so there'll be fireworks, food trucks. I mean, it's a whole it's a whole thing. I'm very oh excited. God. Very cool. Um, I look forward to uh, yeah. learning more. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. We 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 are teaching them multiple bare naked lady songs, which are they're probably they're, not gonna sing. Oh, they're great songs. They're old great stuff. songs. Oh, yeah, old stuff. Yeah, it's good sing along stuff. Yeah, yeah. Some some of my favorite uh, music is bare naked ladies. They're yeah, they're good. They're good stuff. Um, yeah, that's it. Hey, I'm I'm writing papers, publishing stuff. That's cool. Cool. I'm, yeah, I'm 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 doing okay. Get, get, crunching along. Crunching along. Had a great meeting with a graduate student today um, on risk assessment. She's finally like she took her a long time to build the models, but she finally has a working QMRA now, and she's turning the crank on it. And it's like I'm just seeing the light bulbs go off. It's like oh, now Sweet. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So, now it's now it's something that makes something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I've got I got a couple of I, I mean I have some really great students. Um, my whole like cohort cohort right now are really really great, and we've got two or three different um, uh, 
like projects going on that are like added, uh, you know, added value projects. Like we're doing some farmers market stuff. We've got a project with Renee, but we're going to go do some like interviews with market managers on on how they do food safety plans and that kind of stuff. Which doesn't seem super exciting, but it's not much out there on it. Mm-hmm. But then we have this other project where we're going to do some like we're going to take um, thermometers and stuff to tailgates. Mm-hmm. Uh, at football schools to see and then go back and actually see whether people use the, the stuff um, as part of their tailgates. Like, so we have this whole structured project that, that went from, hey, here's a, here's a few dollars to go buy thermometers to I think we could actually do some, some cool like, evaluation of, of whether this actually matters. Um, so we've got, you know, it's a couple of, couple of students running with that, which is fun, fun, fun. We're having a good, we're having a good summer already. Cool. So... Yeah. Very cool. All right, that's it. I gotta go eat lunch. Yeah, actually, I'm taking my lab to lunch, and they told me they're texting me that they're hungry. So I gotta go do a quick meeting with a colleague first, and then we're going to uh, Destination Dogs, a uh, that, gourmet hot dog place. That sounds awesome. I love hot dogs. So. Well, we'll have to go when you next time you're in New Jersey. We'll go to Destination right. Dogs. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Doc. Take care, Ben. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.